This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Wrestling with God, from the book of Genesis. Okay, so we are in Genesis, and this whole topic is, is wrestling with God. And, man, I just, I, I love, I love the, the name. I love, it's so reflective of our journeys. Uh, and it's, it's definitely reflective of my journey. Uh, and when I think about that, I think of, of you know, how I, how I got started in this whole life. And I, I kind of grew up in a, in a, in a, fam- a Christian family, which was just such a gift. And I think sometimes, even in a Christian family, right, you're a child of, of parents who have had this moment where they saw the error of their ways and they, they said, man, we need God in our lives. And so they followed, followed God. But when you're being raised in that family, sometimes uh, you, don't, you have to have your own grace moment, right? And, and sometimes grace is all around you and you're completely blind to it. I, I really think the Catholic Church is like that, the Roman Catholic Church, right? I, I think grace is all around them. And sometimes people don't even, don't even know it because all you have to do is walk into a Roman Catholic church and, and grace is, is around you. Uh, why? Because of the stained glass windows and the story of the gospel being proclaimed just in the stained glass. Uh, think about all the architecture that's, that's there. There's so much imagery in a Roman Catholic church. And so even if the priest is terrible and is not even a Christian himself, hasn't had a grace moment, you, you're still surrounded by grace. And sometimes I think that's true of, of kids who grow up in Christian families. Sometimes grace is all around you, and you just are too blind to see it. Uh, and so I think in some respects, uh, there's a little, me, little bit of me. I, I sensed more the rules and the, and the legalism of Christian faith when I grew up. Um, you know, we, we weren't allowed to play with playing cards, which I'm like laughing about this now. But playing cards, right? I mean, they were from the devil. Uh, now, I don't think my parents said that they were from the devil, but we played a game called Rook. Anybody ever hear Rook? Rook is the exact same thing as playing cards. It's just not playing cards. Numbered 1 through 13. Anybody? Uh, you know, four different suits. But they weren't playing cards, and playing cards have that obvious association with gambling and, you know, all the negative stuff. So you can't play with that stuff. Uh, and so... Anyhow, there was some of that stuff where I was just kind of like, we, we didn't do, we weren't a dancing family, and you know, we, God bless my mom, it was so nice. She, when, when we had school dances, she'd be like, you can have a friend over if you want, and, and we, I will treat you guys right. You know, if it's sleepover, we'd watch movies, she'd come down with huge Sundays. I never wanted to go to the dance because it was always better at my house, uh, you know, hanging with my friends, and uh, my mom treating us well. And, uh, and so, but we weren't really... But, but never, you know, all that to say, there is this element of just kind of feeling like, well, sometimes Christianity feels like it's about the do's and the don'ts. Now, I, I, I've, it kind of got highlighted because I skipped my senior year of high school, and I went to a local Bible college. Uh, the Bible college said, and the high school, they kind of had an agreement. They said, hey, if you finish your, your freshman year of college, we'll assume you were smart enough to finish your high school year of, of or your senior year of high school. Well, I only needed an English credit to graduate, so that opened the door for that possibility. 
So I, it was awesome because I was dating a girl. Don't tell Rebecca this. But I was dating a girl from high school. So I was able to do, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, homecoming and prom. And I was able to do the fun things of high school senior year without another term paper, you know, all the school, da 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 Anyhow, literally, you're on a college schedule, so you have, what, you have class two days a week. Your classes are two days a week. It's fantastic. Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Monday, Wednesday, I guess maybe three days sometimes. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They're compressed. I was able to come home for lunch. It was fantastic. I finished in early May. <clears throat> I, I, I finished my freshman year of college before I graduated from high school. Finished in May, graduated in June. Fantastic. Making fun of my friends who were still going to high school. They didn't know what they were doing. I was a smart guy. So, but all that to say, when I went, I had to sign a paper that I wouldn't drink. Reasonable. You know, you're only, I was only 17, 18, something like that when I went. That's reasonable. Uh, But I wouldn't go to the movie theaters. (laughs) Going I mean, that's not, now, we were not big movie theater f- family, my, you know, to begin with. But, you know, when you're 18, you know, it's like, I, you know, and, and a few good men is in the theaters? I mean, you can't handle the truth, right? I, I, mean, I, wanted, to, I wanted to go see that. That came out at, like, December, Christmas time. And I remember thinking, man, I saw the previews. I was like, I got to see that movie. <laughs> I've got to go. And I signed this stupid thing, and I can't go. Uh, and so on a very legalistic environment, I stuck to the guns and I didn't, didn't go. And, you know, just hoping eventually, the, you know, the movies go from the regular theater to the dollar theater. And then it's like, how long is it going to be at the dollar theater? You know, it's got there in April. You're like, please, just make it to May so that I can get there when I'm, when I'm done here. And May, you know, 7th or 10th or whatever, classes ended, it was still there. Woo, I went that night. I was there at the movie theater, and guess who else was there? 20 other students from the school. We all went to see a few good men. I mean, none of us can. I mean, but it was that type of, I guess, in, in my sense, hypocrisy or legalism that I was just like, this is so stupid. Uh, I mean, th- you're not accomplishing any, anything by, the, by these rules. I mean, we all went the, the, the night. Uh, and so when I think about that, I think about just this, this aspect of, of our faith, right? And so I went and, and, and kind of was like, okay, I need to experience life. So we transferred to, uh, I was only ever planning on going for one year, transferred to Virginia Tech and, uh, oh, silence, wow. Uh, transferred to Virginia Tech and then, um, you know, graduated with business degree, came out, started my uh, career over in, in, my, in hospitality over in Maui, uh, working for the Hyatt, did a little corporate climb for about five years and then God plucked me out. And he said, I want you to go back to seminary. I was like, oh, ain't no way I'm going back to seminary. Uh, There's no chance that I'm going back into the bubble that didn't bring me life. Uh, It just wasn't good for my spirituality. I didn't like, I mean, I learned some stuff up here in the head at Bible college. That was all well and good. But it wasn't good for my heart to be in that that environment where it just felt so legalistic. And that, that felt to me what the community of faith Felt like you ever sense that? Like you go into churches, it's just like uh, you're gonna be, meet some fuddy duddies and, and and do-gooders, and there's gonna be a lot of rules. And I don't really that just doesn't appeal. It doesn't bring life. Anybody? Amen on that. You ever feel that? Okay. So I was like, I am not going back. But God's got a way, right? Hey, you say don't. I'm not gonna do something. You know what He's gonna do? You're going. So I I 
said, okay, I will give you, <laughs> this is me negotiating with God, I will give you one semester, and then I'm out of here. And so I went down to, to Dallas Theological Seminary, and, and I started my, my, uh, my seminary career by sitting in the back row. You guys are right where I want to be, right in the back row. It's a good place to be. You're kind of detached. You're not really a part of the, not, not you guys maybe, but you know, you know, I don't really want to, you know, it's like I keep a healthy distance, right? I don't want you transforming my life like this, okay? I, 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 I need some buffer room. Uh, and so I would always sit in the back, and sometimes I would mock the proceedings to my fellow students if I, if I felt like it. And anyhow, I was in a class called Intro to Theology. In fact, Didi's in it right now with the same professor that I had, Dr. Kreider. Same guy. And, and in that class, he offers uh, some different uh, ways to achieve your grade. And, and he had some, some uh, things that you, you would do on your own. And so you could write a response paper to, to a, a book or to a movie. And so I said, this is fantastic. Uh, I will get myself kicked out of seminary. This is, the way to, this is the way that I can end it in one semester. I don't really want to be here. And I assume that this is going to be just like every other faith community that I've been a part of. A lot of do's and don'ts. And so I, I remember going, we're going to test them. We're going to test. We're going to test this. And so I wrote a paper on Pulp Fiction. If you've watched Pulp Fiction, you know it's, it's rated R. Uh, and rated R is, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a heavy R, not a light R. It's a heavy R. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, I, I take my pastor cap off. I'm not going to recommend it as a pastor. But Brian, me personally, one of my top five favorite movies, okay? It's a fantastic movie. You know, Tarantino does something totally unique in this movie. It's very contrary to the Western uh, step and it actually has a point for, for the passage that we're going to read is he takes something out of chronological order, which is very disturbing to the Western mind because we've been trained to be linear thinkers, we've been trained to be to be chronological people, and so when you break that mode and all of a sudden you're watching a movie and you're seeing scenes that are not chronological, it's disturbing. Uh, and, and it's unusual, particularly now maybe a little bit more common because of what he did. But back then, nobody had done that, uh, you know, kind of messed with it, not on the, on the mainstream like that. Uh, and so uh, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to write this paper on it. L literally, the movie is all about grace, okay? If you, if you haven't seen it in a while and you're like questioning why, it's all about grace, uh, there's four stories that are being told. Go back, rewatch it. I mean, you don't have to. This is just Brian recommending it, not Pastor Brian. It, go back, watch it. It's all about grace. Uh, and so I thought, well, this is perfect because I can write a paper, and as I'm writing it, I can quote lines from the movie in the paper that will get me kicked out. This is fantastic because you can't quote a line from that movie without cussing. Okay? Samuel L. Jackson is in the movie. Okay? Enough said. So I write this paper, I, I, I quote a couple times, and I submit it and go, okay, well, now we're going to find out. We're going to see that the faith community is stupid and irritating and legalistic. And uh, I got the paper back, uh, A, I got an A on the paper. My, my professor was like, I, I saw the movie, but I never saw what you saw, and it's definitely in there. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Well, now we have a mature group, of, a mature faith community that we can kind of talk through the stuff of life. Well, it, it hooked me. 
And, and Didi, man, I, I'm so stoked that you are in his class. And I, I texted her yesterday just like, hey, how, how are you liking it? And she seems to like him as much as I did. And uh, I'm so, I'm so y'all are going to be blessed because she's in this class with this guy because she, he makes you think. And it is a good thing as a Christian to be made to think. And so when I read through Genesis chapter 20, there are some things that are striking to me. And one of the things that, that are striking to me is this idea. I think, it's not, not definite, but I think chapter 20 is taken out of chronological order. And I think it because there is a whole literary device that both God and Moses are using to draw attention to something. And so at this seminary that we go to, it, it, I say we because Didi goes there, that we learn the historical, grammatical, literal approach uh, to understand, literary approach to understanding um, the gospel, right? Now, there's other ways to understand it. You're gonna, there's allegory. There's a whole bunch of different ways. But you have to understand the history. Hopefully, you see that occasionally. I bring a little bit of that into, you know, you're talking about 4,000, 5,000 years ago, so the traditions are different. In chapter 20, we're going to see here that, that this Abimelech is going to marry Sarah, and that's a little weird. Like, we already know she's at least 60. If it's chronological order, she's probably 90 or, you know, getting close to 90. So, I mean, you know, trying to understand that from our perspective, where you get married because you're attracted to one another, doesn't even make sense. So you have to kind of go back and understand his, the historical culture of things is marriage was used as a way to either bring peace between two groups as a peace treaty it wasn't always for attraction. It was uh, you increase your wealth that way because of, of connecting to the right person. Uh, and so there's a whole bunch of different things. Well, that's one of the ways, historical. The grammar of the Bible is interesting. Just a tiny, what is it? One of the letters in, in Greek is iota, right? That's the smallest Greek letter. And J Jesus says, not a jot or a tittle. Uh, will we'll be left behind on, on, on this gospel until it is fulfilled. Now, jot and till is a part, one part of the iota, right? This letter, it's just one part. So what God is saying, what Jesus is saying about the, the word of God, grammar matters. Diagram your sentences, people. Uh, when you're getting out there, figure out what your participles are. Greek and Greek participles are huge. So you have to kind of understand gr grammar. It actually opens things up. Uh, and then you have this whole, like, literary thing that's going on. How Bibles are written. You know, some of the Bibles written in poetry. You, you probably know that. Uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesi uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, <laughs> no, never Song of Solomon, thank you, and Ecclesiastes. They're, they're written in poetry, right? And so how you understand poetry is a little bit different than how you understand narrative. But then there's poetry in narrative sections as well. There's, there's all different types of epics uh, that are, that are uh, in, in Scripture and how you read. In, uh, so different types of narrative draw out different things. Well, today we're going to see uh, this thing, this device. It's an unbelievable device. It's all over Scripture. And I think it's right here in Genesis. Uh, it's called a chiasm. And a chiasm works in this way where you're going to see different uh, things, different accounts uh, purposefully chosen. And then it's going to be followed by another purposeful point to address that, which is followed by another, and it's going to work its way to a point. And then that point, it's going to work itself right back out using the 
similar points that, were, that came before. Now, if you're confused right now, no problem. I'm going to show you where it is. But before we do that, let's read Genesis 20 and, uh, and see if we can see some things, all right? Abraham journeyed from there to the Negev region and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he lived as a temporary resident in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Does that sound familiar? That's your tell right there. Uh, she is my sister. Wait a minute, I heard this before. Uh, in fact, you in, out in the audience should be going, you already preached about this one, pastor. That's a tell right there, okay? Uh, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Uh, but remember, in the, in the prior passage, uh, it was... Pharaoh. They were down in Egypt, so different characters here. But God appeared to Abimelech in a dream at night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken, for she is someone else's wife. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. He said, Lord, would you really slaughter an innocent nation? Did Abraham not say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and with innocent hands. Then in the dream, God replied to him, Yes, I know that you have done this with a clear conscience. That is why I've kept you from sinning against me and why I did not allow you to touch her. But now give back the man's wife. Indeed, he is a prophet and he will pray for you. Thus you will live. But if you don't give her back, know that you will surely die along with all who belong to you. Early in the morning, Abimelech summoned all his servants. When he told them about all these things, they were terrified. Abimelech summoned Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? What sin did I commit against you that, you would, cause, that would cause you to bring such great guilt on me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What prompted you to do this thing? Abraham replied, Because I thought... Surely no one fears God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. What's more, she is indeed my sister, my father's daughter, but not my mother's daughter. She became my wife. When God made me wander from my father's house, I told her, this is what you can do to show your loyalty to me. Every place we go, say about me, he is my brother. So Abimelech gave sheep, cattle, and male and female servants to Abraham. He also gave his wife Sarah back to him. Then Abimelech said, Look, my land is before you. Live wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Look, I have given a thousand pieces of silver to your brother. This is compensation for you so that you will stand vindicated before all who are with you. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech as well as his wife and female slaves so that they were able to have children. For the Lord had caused infertility to strike every woman in the household of Abimelech because he took Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, again, it's not definite that this is out of chrono chronological order. Uh, but when you line up, essentially what the author is doing here is the author is going to take different accounts of Abraham's life because he's got a point. He's got a story that he wants to tell. Not only is he trying to advance kind of the story of Abraham, right? We see aspects of that. But he's also trying to make theological points along the way. And those theological points, uh, they, they get, you know, kind of proclaimed to us, uh, not just so that we can mentally agree, 
but so that our hearts and lives can be transformed. Uh, and so, uh, again, the gospel writers do this, right? They have whole stories of Jesus. And, and they're, sitting, they're, they're looking at these stories and they're going, which, which will advance uh, my purpose the most? Uh, Matthew is writing to the Jewish people. So as he's looking at Jesus' li life and he's thinking about which stories should a Jewish audience hear, you're going to hear some specific accounts that really relate to the Jewish audience. Mark does the same thing. Uh, John has a completely different approach because he's trying to say, hey, I want to show that Jesus is God. Uh, the other authors are ending with that thought, uh, but John starts with that thought. And so you have this idea of going, okay, I, I know I have a certain amount of knowledge of these stories, and now I'm going to arrange them in a way that is going to have some, some nice little things, some subtle little things for the reader to discover. That's why I love uh, what, what we, we say about in here. God is hiding right out in the middle of the open. It, it, the Word of God is like that. There are things to discover in the Word of God no, many, no matter how many times you've read, read it. it. There are things to discover, even if you've gone to seminary. There are things to discover in the Word of God, and, and He's hidden them in there, and He wants us to find them. Chiasms are just this beautiful part of how the Hebrew mind is trained to write. And now think of that. Not everybody had a printed Bible, right? And so if you're trying to tell a story for somebody to be able to remember without being able to go back to the, to the story, a chiasm is a beautiful way to do it. Because there's going to be things that are going to be postulated or proclaimed here that lead to this, that lead to that, that make this point and then Here's the way to remember it. We're going to back out and do the same thing. It would be, in fact, I don't think you'll ever forget the structure of Genesis chapter 12 through, through 23 after today. Because you have the ability to remember it with this chiast chiastic structure. All right? So let's take a look at, at what's going on here. We've got this idea here. Where am I? Let's go here. No, this isn't the right one. I got nothing. I got, I got the, it's the wrong sermon. We need the, we need the one that's got the uh, chiasm in it. It's not there, is it? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to download it. So, uh, so there's this party coming up on Saturday. <laughs> By the way, uh, in the announcements, did you see that there's a foster care uh, uh, teaching class this week? It's this week. Sorry, it's so last minute, but the lady just came uh, a week ago, and so if if you have had any interest, and this is like right with the gospel. So this girl's a Christian. She's fantastic. Uh, she's going into the chaos, literally, um, and using her gifts and abilities to bring order and purpose to the to the family crises that are, that happen here on the island. Um, and so she's got an event this week that if you would like to, uh, uh, you know, just learn more. You don't even have to sign. It's not even to sign up to be a foster parent. It's just to learn more. Uh, that's, that's her right there, Chelsea. Um, and that's at 12 p.m. on Wednesday. So feel free to, uh, to, to look into that. Uh, and, oh, by the way, there's a party on Saturday. 3 to 7, Broderson's house. Okay, so here's the, the chiastic structure that we have going on here in Genesis. Okay? Now, it actually goes even before chapter 12. It starts at the end of chapter 11. Uh, but I wanted to, to just kind of note some things. And one of the ways that you're going to see it 
is that tell of something familiar. Like when you hear another story being repeated or something similar, you go, wait a minute, I heard back about, I already heard this story about Sarah's sis, or, or Abraham saying that Sarah was his sister. Uh, then what you do, you go, you note that, and you note where that other one was, and right there you have two points already, and you go back and you look at everything in between, and you start to thematically look at those chapters, and you go, wait a minute, this is, wait, and then it gets reversed here, and then this gets, and then it gets reversed here, and then, boom, here's the middle point, okay? It goes, it, sometimes when you see, when you notice the repetition, you actually have to look past it and before it. And so when we look before the first story of, of uh, Sarah, Abraham saying that Sarah, we actually see, uh, I mean, this crucial uh, thing that affects us to this day, and that is that a promise is made to Abraham, okay? And this promise is about a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. Uh, we ultimately find out that it comes through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name, but at this juncture in chapter 12, all that Abraham is told is, I'm going to give you some land. He doesn't even know which land yet. I'm going to give you some descendants. And through those descendants, all the nations are going to bless one another because of you. Right? And so in chapter 12, we have this promise that is made. Well, the, oops. No, I need, the, I need the whole thing. You only got one slide. I need the whole thing. No, it's not. Where is it? No, I need the whole thing of the, the chiasm. I need all the following slides. There's nothing I... Where'd you get that? I don't have that. You're going to have to do it. All right. <laughs> Track. Yeah, sorry, Bob. No, no internet time for you today. See, he already hears the sermons in the first service, so then he gets... No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So you had the promise made. Then it followed immediately by this next story of Sarah uh, being, being claimed as the sister. Okay, Now, we already preached that message. I'm not going to re-preach that. But what we notice is that when you go the way of man, and literally, as you are, uh, this, this calling that we have, right? The, being made in the image of God, God has said, I want you to go into the chaos. This is before corruption entered the world. Okay, sin, before sin entered the world, he said, I want you to go in to the chaos and give it order and purpose, just like I have done. I am making you mini-me's. That's what we are. We're mini-gods. We are made in the image of God, and we have the opportunity, as we stay connected to him, to bring life everywhere we go. Uh, and so he has asked us to do this, but when corruption comes into the world... Now, all of a sudden, it changes the dynamic because it gives us this sense of going, oh, who's going to provide for me and who's going to protect me as we go into uh, the chaos? And there's a lot of fear going into the chaos of this world. Uh, think about I mean, I'm looking here at Nick. I'm thinking of my own college experience and just going, hey, when you go away to college, man, th th you are going into the chaos, right? I mean, he, he went to Boston. It's a lot more chaotic than where I went in the hills of Virginia, Right? You are being sent into the chaos. Well, who's going to provide and protect me? I, was, I got down there. Who's going to do my laundry when I am down at Virginia Tech? Because I had a mother who did my laundry for me. And now she's five and a half hours away. I, I would say I bought enough underwear and socks that I would, I would go home every like eight weeks. I did it. I'm not ashamed 
My mom wanted me to bring that stuff home, okay? I'm just saying. She's like, you bring your, I, I love you. My, you're my son. You bring home your, your dirty clothes. I will wash those. That's what I want to do. So I covered that area. That wasn't so bad. But who's going to feed me when I go into the chaos? Who's going to provide for me in that manner of speaking? You know, I, uh, I left as a sophomore, right, because I had that freshman year. I weighed 150 pounds when I went to Virginia Tech. I came home at Christmas, and my friend's dad came up to me, and he started like, you know, touching me. He's like, by God, son, what happened to you? He wasn't a believer, so, you know, okay? Uh, and I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you've lost so much weight. And I, I went home and I weighed myself. I was 135 pounds. I lost the freshman 15. I didn't gain the freshman 15. You know why? <laughs> Ain't nobody cooks like my mom, okay? Who's going to provide for me? Little old Brian down in the hills of, of Virginia, well, I, Taco Bell provided for me, I learned, uh, and they did a pretty good job providing for me. But when you go into the chaos, that's, there's a fear about, uh, I'm joking, there, these are silly examples, but there's real fear that confronts us as we go into the chaos. And so as, Mo, or as Moses, Abraham and Sarah go into the chaos, even though he's got a pretty big household of about 300 and some people, right, he's a wanderer. Think about the, the fear that would confront him on a regular basis as he wanders through the land and engages with different people groups that have different values. He says it himself right here. He said, I didn't know if you would be a people that would fear God, right? That would have the same values that I would have about loving others as much as you love yourself. And so what does he do? Well, because of my fear... Uh, I know that so this, this wife of mine, you might kill me if I say that she's my wife so that you can get everything that I have. So here's what I'm going to do. I say, hey, you just tell them that you're my sister. Now, we saw how much conflict that introduces when you battle fear your way as opposed to God's way. Tell them the truth is always God's way. It, lying is never God's way. Uh, so just on the surface, we know that he didn't follow God's way. And so we have to have this confidence that we come back and, and tell the truth. The only time you can lie, men, the only time that you can lie is when your wife asks you, how do you like my hair? It looks fantastic. That's your answer every single time, okay? All right, that was Brian talking, not Pastor Brian. No, tell the truth, right? And, and, and so as we go into the chaos of these different things, we have these moments. It's understandable that he would do this. But when we get to this passage in chapter 20, it, what it sounds like is it sounds like he, this was something that he did repeatedly. Uh, and it feels as if it's out of chronological order, that this is something that he would have gone into Gerar and done soon after this. Because, you know, he's a man, and it takes us a couple of times uh, to learn our lesson, not just once. Now, it is possible that it happens post-Lot, post-Sodom and Gomorrah, right? There's a whole theological point that the author is trying to make about protecting the, the, the seed-bearing woman, making sure that everybody knows that this is God who is protecting her. Now, that point can still be made even taken out of chronology, okay? And that is part of the point of this passage, that God is coming back and saying nothing can jeopardize the promise. So... When you try something your way, 
man's way always jeopardizes the promise. And, and God comes along and says, I'm not going to put up with that because I will defend my promise. And you see how he defends his promise. I do personally think it's out of chronological order here. So next thing, you see this, then you go into chapter 13 and 14, and if you were just to kind of give a, a major thing, you go, well, there's a lot of drama, right? Lot goes, he gets closer to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then they, the, he gets invaded, he gets taken off, right? And then Abraham has to go save him. There's a whole story of lot drama. Next one. When we see that lot drama, excuse me, we sense a little bit of the way of the world. This isn't Abraham, conflict with Abraham, it's conflict with the world. And Sodom is this whole message of how when the, a world system operates apart from God, there's going to be conflict as well. Well, what does God come back and say? Oh, no, world systems do not stand or jeopardize the promise. And so he comes back and he opens this promise even more. This is what we call the unfolding of the flower, rose, hibiscus, whatever flower you want. But you see this promise that is made in chapter 12. It's kind of generic. It's like, oh, I'll give you land, I'll give you descendants, and I'll give you a blessing. But what are the details of that? Chapter 15 starts to unfold some of the details. And God comes back and he says, nothing will jeopardize my promise. Not even world systems or world ways. Next one. And you have Hagar. Again, you have this, re this return to going, I'm going to solve things my way, right? Instead of relying on this promise, uh, we have this, this tendency to go, wait a minute, you've called me to go into the cast. I, I, I can do that. <laughs> I can do it, and I can provide and protect for myself. And God comes back and he says, no, you don't seem to get it. I have promised to provide and protect for you, Okay. You need to operate according to my way, and, and you will see that I am a reliable promise giver because I'm the one who's able to execute promises. Wouldn't that be nice if we had more people in life who could... I, man, uh, I'm thinking of people first, and now I'm thinking of the government. Wouldn't it be nice if, they, if you could rely on the government's promises? Oh, they will promise you everything, but they will never deliver. God delivers, okay? And, and so you have this whole story and conflict that arises once again because uh, Abraham and Sarah try it their own way, okay? Now, go back, next one. Now, all of a sudden, you start to see the reversal, okay? And you start to see these same themes being reversed out of the story, and you have the promise unfolded again. Chapter 17 is that whole section on circumcision, more information is being revealed that Sarah indeed will be the mother of this child. And not just anybody, right? Sarah's going to come back. And so you have the promise unfolded. Go to the next one. What, what's followed by the promise unfolded? Chapter 18 and 19 regarding whom? Drama with Lot, right? And once again, how Abraham as a prophet is coming in and intervening on behalf of of Lot. And so you have this whole drama, the way, I mean, you can't, it's the way of the world, Sodom is the way of the world. Now, you, each of these points are going to have a little bit more to the story. So you see the, the Lot drama unfold and go, oh, there's going to be judgment. Oh, judgment's coming. And that's what we looked at when we saw the Lot drama. Okay, next one. And now we are right back here in chapter 20, and oh, there's Abraham 
doing the sister thing again. Okay? So, so what you have, and, and, and go, we'll even do the next one. Next week, what we're going to look at is we're going to see in chapter 21 and 22. First, you have at the top, chapter 12, you have the promise made. And what happens in chapter 21 and 22? Anybody know? Isaac gets born. Promise fulfilled. I am a God who's able to raise the dead back. I've done it for you. I've taken your dead womb and I have brought life from death. Uh, and so you have this whole kind of reversal out and explanation. It actually goes even from chapter 11. There's one more in chapter 23, uh, but I didn't, it, it kind of referring to, it, it kind of opens and closes uh, Abraham's family is what I would have called that, uh, Abraham, you know, information on Abraham's family. But it, this is not magic. This is not, uh, you know, some seminary trick. This is the Hebrew writer and author, God with Moses is intending to get your attention by how he is writing this chiastic structure. Now, one, it would be aid memory as you are hearing these stories orally, right? As the law is being read, you go, oh, now all of a sudden you can go into Genesis chapter 12 through 22 and you should be able to work your way through it in your head, thinking about, oh, there's a promise, oh, and then it's fulfilled. Oh, and yet it's challenged by man's way. Right? When, when Abraham comes back and he says, no, I'll call her my sister. Oh, and then it's also challenged by the world way. Right? Because here's Lot uh, and these, these situations that, with Lot that are, are very fear-based. Uh, and, and how could that jeopardize the promise? And then you get to these two sections in the, right near the middle about this, the promise being unfolded. And then you get what the final thing is. Man, let's go to the next one. The front, the, with Hagar. Again, once again, the point being here, as you look through that chiastic structure, nothing will jeopardize the promise. Nothing. Right? The promise will overcome the way of the world. And the promise will overcome the way of man. This is a beautiful thing to be able to see how the promise is going to, to, to be our aid as we, as we go into the chaos now that corruption is a part of it, we have a part of ourselves that drifts toward corruption, ourselves individually. And, and when, we, when we try to provide and protect ourselves, we're going to create an awful lot of conflict. But guess what? Even when we do that, nothing will thwart God's promise to you. We're going to engage in, in institutional corruption, the way of the world. You know, churches are part of the institutional corruption. They can be. They can be. Not all of them, but there can be institutional corruption and the way of the world, even in churches. Maybe you've seen a little bit of that. I referred to it a little bit when, and maybe it's just perception sometimes. When we miss the grace that is all around us and we only focus on the do's and the don'ts, maybe we're part of the problem of seeing a problem with the church because we don't understand grace. Well, there's institutional problems when it comes to, to Wall Street, <laughs> to governments. When you see the system of this world operating, guess what? Nothing can thwart the promise of God. This is good news. Think of the DOE, how big the DOE is in our state, and the amount of corruption that's in the DOE. Think of school districts all across uh, different state universities. Uh, well, I mean, all I'm thinking about is California. Think how, uh, sorry, 
but I'm not alone, okay? People are fleeing California like crazy, okay? Because they're crazy in California. It's a beautiful state, fantastic, a lot of resources, wonderful. But that government is corrupt. But they all are corrupt. And so as we, get, as we kind of engage with these, the, the way of the world, we, we have this tendency to go, oh, well, this is how, it, how I have to operate. In order to get anything done, you go down to Mexico, you get pulled over by the police, what do you have to do? Boom. Right? That's the way of the world. That's how it works. It, similar things happen right here in America. It, you, you almost have to, but God is coming back and saying, no, 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 no. Follow me. Follow the way of the promise. The way of the promise is this. Uh, love me and love others as much as you love yourself. If you do that, what's going to unfold for you is, is life is going to unfold for you. You're not going to have the conflict that comes from the way of yourself or the way of the world as you conform to the pattern of this world. No, you, if you follow the way of the promise, you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind into the things that bring life. And that's the point of this whole passage. When you look at that chiastic structure, is the author is looking at the events of, of Abraham's life, and he's like, oh, this is going to be rich. I can use this, and I can use that, and then I can use this, and that, and that, and it'll make this point where everybody can walk away and go, nothing will jeopardize promise. And so for all of eternity, for anybody that listens to this story, there is a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. He does that through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name so that you too can experience life. And so I hear Luke saying, hey, I missed an opportunity. I hear Honoré get up and say, yeah, I don't, I, sometimes I don't have the words. Yes, you have the words. I don't say that in a guilt way. I don't mean that, that way. You have the words. And I, how do I know? Because I repeat them every Sunday. All you have to do is steer people toward a God who is able to raise the dead back to life. Okay, it's the, it, it is the rock on which our faith is based. It is what I call the thick ice. When other people are trying to pull you out into thin ice, controversial issues of this, bring them back to the resurrection. How do you know the resurrection is true? Well, we have testimony of Scripture that has not been able to be proved otherwise. We have a testimony of a community of faith, and you have my testimony, meaning you are able to testify to the person and say, God has raised me back to life. I once was lost, but now I am found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was deaf, but now I can hear. Why? Because there's a God who raised me back to life. And so all those things, the, way, the ways that I, I chose uh, my way or the world's way, I have left those things behind. They have become dim in my eyes because I have turned my eyes to focus on Jesus. And when I do, I see a Savior who is willing to give his own life for the lives of others. A Savior who is willing to forgive before forgiveness is even asked for. And as I, I turn and I face him, all of a sudden, all the things of this world start to get dim. And there is my Savior and the way of the promise that cannot that will prevail 
over everything. Will you join me as we share and proclaim this good news? As you're with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, will you invite them to the resurrection? Father, that's my prayer for myself. I, I get it. I'm with Luke. I'm with Honoré. There are moments when, when I miss opportunities. But now, as we're, as we're being trained by this, this proclamation of the gospel, will you empower us to remember it and to draw people to the resurrection so that they, too, can experience new life? Father, uh, thank you for, for proclaiming this, this message. We ask these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.